Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Mark's Attic. Everyone is cordially invited to join co-host Zach and me, Uncle Mark, as we explore a variety of interesting topics from the fields of paranormal activities, conspiracy theories, unsolved mysteries, disappearances, and lots more. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Facebook, and Apple Podcast at Uncle Mark's Attic. Feel free to reach out and contact us with your questions and suggested topics. We would love to hear you. So come on into the attic with us now as we go exploring and find out what mysteries we're going to discover today. So today's episode is about ghosts. Um, this is a, has been a very anticipated episode. I know we haven't posted in a very long time. We're going to try and get back into the swing of things. Uh, we're going to try and build a set and make it look all nice. So yeah, that's that's where we're headed. Hopefully we can hunker down and actually get get some some episodes out here shortly. Yes, and we've started investing in some new equipment and yes. going to try to upgrade things a little bit and make it a little bit more, I don't know, not professional, but more... Professional in a way, yeah. Technically proficient. I'll say technically proficient. There we go. That's better. <laughs> okay, so in October 2004, the Sci-Fi Channel aired the initial episode of the Ghost Hunters TV show. Uh, the show quickly became the highest rated show on their network, and it ran for 11 seasons. Since then, there have been multiple ghost hunting shows airing on many different channels. Based on the number of shows uh, and books on the subject, ghosts seem to be the most widely believed paranormal phenomenon. Uh, and here in the United States, belief in ghosts has been on the rise over the last few decades in national opinion polls. In 1990, 25% of American adults expressed belief in ghosts. In 2005, it was a 32%. Um, and today... The national opinion polls or surveys show fully that 50% of adults believe in ghosts. Right, and that's here in the United States. So I remember when the Ghost Hunter show first came on TV, and that was a big, big thing. And it's hard to believe it was 2004, October of 2004. But because it became so successful, it did spawn all of those kind of takeoff shows of it. So many other channels yeah. jumped in on the the whole field of, you know, ghost hunting and ghost exploration. So it did really become popular here in the United States. And even today, if you turn on the TV right now, I mean, there's a chance that you're going to, you know, scroll around the channels. You're going to find some ghost show on one of those channels, a rerun or whatever, but it's exactly, going to be, a, yeah. you're going to find it somewhere out there because there's so many of them. I've actually lost track of how many there are, but I remember, I know, I'll admit, I, I got hooked on that ghost hunter show when it first started on the mm -hmm. sci-fi channel and I found it pretty interesting. So, and it's kind of interesting to see the uh, the increase you see in popular belief here in the United States yeah. in the reality or existence of ghosts. Mm -hmm. yeah. As it's kind of, you can see it was already going up before those show, you know, before that show first started in 2004. And then you see it going up even more because those shows are very popular and they tend to be very successful. Some are better than others, you know, and things like that. But anyway, so we'll just stop right here. And before we go any further, let's just ask ourselves what exactly is a ghost. So if you go online or use an old-fashioned dictionary like Uncle Mark does sometimes, the most common definition you're going to find for the word or term ghost is a disembodied soul, the soul or the life force of someone who has died, a dead person. Now, human beings have been talking about and writing about ghosts for thousands of years. You're going to find stories and references to ghosts in the Bible itself and in many of the legends and uh, stories passed down through uh, ancient cultures all around the world on just about every continent. But when you say the word ghost, it gets a little confusing because there seems to be different kinds of ghosts. For example, some ghosts appear to be the result of people who have died and they have unfinished business here on Earth. 
sometimes ghosts appear to be the result of people who died under tragic circumstances, such as an accident or a murder, and they appear to be in denial of the fact that they have actually died or passed away. And some ghosts are actually referred to as a term crisis apparitions. The ghost is aware of its own death, but it has come to a loved one to bring some sort of a message uh, or comfort or even closure about their death. Uh, then there are some ghosts who seem able to speak. Some ghosts make sounds, uh, poltergeists. Some ghosts can move physical objects. Some can change or alter the temperature in a room. And some ghosts can touch people. Mm-hmm. Some ghosts seem to be tied to a place uh, where they died at. Uh, and some ghosts seem to be lost while on their way to the other side. So all of these different variations that come under the term ghost are usually seized upon by the hardcore debunkers and skeptics and some scientists who have looked into the the whole area of, of ghosts and whether they're real or not. Debunkers often will be heard asking, are ghosts material or not? In other words, either they can go through solid objects or they can slam doors and move around and throw or move objects across a room. And if ghosts are actually human souls, why do they appear clothed, as is so often the case. Now, skeptical scientists themselves often bring up the question, what happens to our body's energy when someone dies? They make reference to what's called the first law of thermodynamics, that energy, in a nutshell here now, energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change form. And when the body dies, the body's energy will then go back into the environment. The energy is released in the form of heat. If the body is left unburied, it will be transformed into the animals that consume it. And if the body is buried or interred in the ground, it is transformed into the worms and the bacteria that consume it. So for the debunkers and skeptics, if ghosts are real and are therefore some sort of energy that survives the death of the human body, their existence should be able to be discovered and verified by scientists in controlled experiments in a laboratory, in other words, following scientific methodology. And as far as the debunkers are concerned, ghost hunters have not provided any solid evidence of the existence of ghosts, and there has not been any verification of their existence in any laboratory experiment. Their opinion is that ghosts can be explained as mis- misperceptions, mm-hmm. uh, mistakes, hoaxes, and some people's psychological need to believe that their loved ones who have passed continue to live on. So, with all of this in mind, we decide that for our first podcast on ghosts, we're not going to focus our attention on any of the various TV shows or videos about ghosts or ghost hunting on YouTube or the internet. Uh, We have decided to focus on one book about ghosts, which we feel is very interesting and persuasive. Right, and this is just the first time we're speaking about ghosts in in the attic here, but we'll be doing many more you know, podcasts down the road about different stories and different uh, cases that we look into uh, about the whole area of ghosts and, and ghost hunting, looking for them. Um, this book I read many years ago when it first came out, and uh, I like, I'm glad we're starting with this because it's a very personal story of somebody. It's Really, it's often referred to as a memoir of somebody. Uh, the book is entitled Holy Ghost, and I like the subtitle of it. So the title itself is Holy Ghost, but then in the subtitle underneath it is, or how a not-so-good Catholic boy became a believer in things that go bump 
in the night, and I enjoyed that very much. Uh, he does have a great sense of humor that comes through in this book and other books that he's written since this. But anyway, the book did first come out in 2010. It is a memoir by the author about his own personal experiences with ghosts in his home and how he went about investigating and dealing with his situation here. Now, the author of this book is called, is, uh, excuse me, is Gary Jansen. Uh, he has worked for many, many years as an editor in the book publishing industry. Currently, he's director of Image Books and an executive editor at Penguin Random House, where he has edited and published books by different New York Times bestselling authors. He's also been featured on a number of shows. I've watched him a few times. He's been on National Public Radio and in the Huffington Post on Coast to Coast AM on the A&E channel, the Sundance channel, and he's appeared many times on the Travel Channel's Mysteries at the Museum series. He's also a permanent deacon in the Roman Catholic Church. And Gary explains at the beginning of the book the reason he wrote this book was so that people could learn why he became a believer in Ghost. I like his background, too. It's a very interesting background, both his work in the publishing industry, where he's worked with so many authors, and the fact that he's a a permanent deacon in uh, the Roman Catholic Church here in the United States. Uh, my oldest brother was a permanent deacon, so they're able to assist the priests uh, in many of the different religious services that they do in their parish churches, but they also uh, perform other functions. For example, my oldest brother, when he was actively a permanent deacon, he's retired now, but I know he, he did quite a bit of work as a prison chaplain during those years. So these are people with some formal training when they become permanent deacons, and certainly in theology— since they're going to be assisting their clergymen. But uh, I, I just like, I like the fact that he has that, and he has a rather strong personal religious faith that he talks about in the book, but that all comes into play as he's dealing with what we're going to be talking about now, the experiences that he had, and why he came to believe, firmly believe, in the reality and existence of ghosts, and why he felt then motivated to actually write this book. So between the years 2007 and 2008, so unexplainable things began to happen to him and his family and their home on a regular basis. At that time, he was 37 years old and his wife was expecting their second child, and he emphasizes that his book is a true story about his journey into the supernatural and that he firmly believes that there is an invisible world out there. And it is a very real world indeed. Mm-hmm. His hope is that by telling his story in his book, he can help people experience the world, both seen and unseen, in a totally different way. In March of 2007, Gary and his wife and their three-year-old son, Eddie, were living in Rockville Center, uh, a Long Island, New York suburb, about 230 miles east of Manhattan, where Gary worked. They were actually living in the house that Gary's parents had bought in 1976 when Gary was six years old. Gary and his wife bought the house from his mother in 2001. Right. The house was an old house. It is actually built in 1904. Before his parents had bought the house in that area or neighborhood, the house was known as a, uh, quote, a hippie commune. A lot of young people were living there with lots of wild parties and uh, (laughs) some drugs thrown in there. After uh, Gary's parents had moved in, his mother found a Ouija board and tarot cards there, which she promptly threw out. (laughs) Uh, One thing Gary remembered from his childhood, he was about six when they moved into that house. Uh, The rooms always seemed cold, and at nights there were, on occasion, tapping sounds behind some of the walls, footsteps that you would hear in the attic, 
creaking stairs, etc. And I'll just stop there, Zach, because all of this, when we're talking about these things right now, reminds me of the podcast that you and I did on uh, exorcisms Mm -hmm. and some of the things that we shared with everybody listening and joining in with us here in the attic about what some of the exorcists were saying about, you know, the type of things that happen in Ouija boards and tarot cards and the kind of uh, experiences that some people have in their house and how that sometimes they've learned that what they're dealing with are actually ghosts. And those exorcists made it very clear they believed in the reality of ghosts because they had dealt with ghosts as opposed to the uh, existence of demons that we talked about or fallen angels, which is a whole different thing. So we're we're just focusing on ghosts in this podcast. But just listening to that, it brought back memories of some of the stuff that we talked yeah. about in our, in our uh, podcast on exorcisms. Now, it's interesting. That, so in this old house built in 1904, right across the street... Lucky Gary was his Catholic grade school where he was going when they moved into that house. And there's a funeral home right across the street. And then a little bit further past those, there's the Catholic high school and then the uh, cathedral, the Catholic cathedral. So in the fall of 1977, now Gary will be seven years old, his mother told him that there was a ghost in their home. She could, quote, feel her. And, quote, she stands by the picture window in the front room. Now, at this point in his life, Gary Seven, and like he says in the book, he's in parochial school, you weren't talking about ghosts in those days. There was no TV shows about ghosts as such. So even at that young age, his preference was really for rational explanations for things rather than ghosts. And he didn't really understand what his mother was talking about, about this ghost woman. But we'll keep that thought in mind because it's going to come back a little bit later in the podcast. There's an interesting something that comes up on that. So several times during uh, March to April of 2007, uh, Gary would go into his son Eddie's room by himself, and he would feel electrical surges. Uh, Was this a result of some stress uh, or the weather? He did not say anything to his wife at this time. In mid-April 2007, Gary and his wife hear uh, mumbling on the baby monitor downstairs for their son's room. They go upstairs and into his room and hear a faint low voice coming from the bookshelf, which is seven feet from Eddie's bed. There is a stuffed Kermit the Frog doll. Kermit the Frog. Uh, le- well done. <laughs> letting, I know. Trust me. I th- <laughs> I've, I've been told I have a pretty good Kermit, Kermit uh, impression. Very good. Okay. So there is a stuffed Kermit the Frog doll letting out a low rumbling sound. Now, this stuffed doll did not have a voice box, but Gary could not find a place where you change the battery. Um... As Gary leaves the room with the Kermit, the doll, Kermit doll in his hand, uh, it started speaking, and Gary was definitely <laughs> spooked. Then in June of 2007, Grace was pregnant, and all three of them were having trouble speaking. I, I meant to say sleeping. I'm okay, sorry. Okay, sleeping. Okay, I was... I was I'm old. Kind of, yes. It, it happens. So they, all three of them were having trouble sleeping. Uh, Gary slept in Eddie's room, and Eddie slept with Grace. The battery-operated toys in Eddie's room were routinely turned on themselves now, turning themselves on now. Yeah, I remember in the book, I had mentioned that he had no idea how many battery-operated toys that he had (laughs) until all of this uh, crazy stuff happens with all of these various stuffed animal creatures and, you know, figures uh, primarily battery-operated are are routinely turning themselves on, oftentimes... uh, during the night when you're trying to sleep. But all of them were having sleeping problems, and that's something else that we read about in other cases of of uh, people that are having some sort of problem in their homes that appears to be some sort of ghostly presence, the existence of ghosts in, in wherever it is that they're living. Now, Gary was often having uh, very bad dreams at this period, too, and that 
strange or eerie feeling that you get sometimes that you're being watched? You know what you mean when you're alone in the house or, or wherever he was. He just felt he was often someone was watching. Sometimes you get that feeling, you know, in the back of your neck that like yeah. someone's yeah, staring definitely. at you from behind. Mm-hmm. And actually, there is some validity to that whole thought that our bodies can react to that kind of experience. He was at work one day and told one of his coworkers about some of these things that were going on in the house, especially about the animals. And she advised him that, in her opinion, she felt certain that he actually was dealing with a ghost in the house. And she told him about a book that she had read. And again, remember, they're in the publishing industry. So she had been involved with this author. And that book was called When Ghosts Speak. And the author was Mary Ann Winkowski. Now, his coworker explained to him that Marianne had the ability to see and speak with ghosts, and Marianne was the inspiration for that TV show that was on a few years back uh, called The Ghost Whisperer. Uh, that, that show was actually roughly based on uh, Marianne Winkowski's own life, and these, these abilities or this gift she seems to have for being able to discern or see ghosts and actually speak with them. So... She told him all about Mary Ann, and she said that uh, Mary Ann can tell you if you have a ghost in your home just by speaking with you over the phone. So she didn't have Mary Ann's phone number with her at the moment, but she promised Gary she would get it and uh, give that on to him in case he wanted to ever make that call to Mary Ann. Well, during the next few weeks as they go by, the electric surges were hitting Gary at a stronger level with much more force, as he described it. And now he begins to see shadow people, uh, primarily when he's alone in Eddie's room. Now, if Eddie and Gary's wife, Grace, were with him, he noticed that those things would not happen. It was when he was alone, and especially in Eddie's room, the young three-year-old son's room, that's when these surges and the shadow people, whatever these shadowy figures were that he was seeing, that's when they would be appearing. Finally, the day came when Gary couldn't keep all this to himself anymore, so he told Grace all about these strange things that he had been experiencing, and Grace responded by opening right up with him and told him that she felt like she was often being watched by someone when she was in the house alone, and she had also been seeing shadows or shadowy figures or shadow people, however you want to describe them, and she had also been hearing a lot of strange noises, but as was her nature, she tried to play all of this down as it's probably just, you know, weather and just, you know, old houses make noise, that sort of thing. So she wasn't exactly jumping on any kind of bandwagon that this was, you know, a ghostly presence or something like that. In September of 2007, Gary enrolled in the Pastoral Formation Institute of his Catholic uh, diocese, which... Uh, he was thinking of becoming a deacon for his church at this time. Right. Uh, Eddie's toys continued to turn themselves on, and he continued to see the shadows. So one night while watching TV, there was a loud crash that sounded like a window breaking right in the middle of the room. <laughs> Gary finally began to research ghosts, and he specifically wanted to know what his church had to say about ghosts. In a Catholic dictionary, he found uh, this entry for ghosts. And it goes like this. Mm-hmm. A ghost is a disembodied spirit. Christianity believes that God may and sometimes does permit a departed soul to appear in some visible form to people on earth. There is en- enough authentic evidence, for example, in the lives of the saints to indicate that such apparitions occur. Their purpose may be to teach or to warn or request some favor of the living. 
end quote. Gary had not realized that the church actually accepted the reality of ghosts. Yeah, I thought that was a, a great revelation in the book, and I'm really glad he shared uh, his personal feelings about this. In the book, he actually explains earlier on that, um, you know, when he was younger, like so many people, he had gone through, you know, doubts about his own faith because, you know, he was brought up Roman Catholic and went to, you know, Catholic grade school and high school. So he did have his doubts, but somewhere in the, you know, as he got into his later 20s, that's when he seemed to um, resolve a lot of his doubts or questions that he had. And so, you know, he makes it very clear. I mean, he is definitely a devout Roman Catholic at this time, but he had had no in- idea, no inkling that yeah. and uh, the Catholic Church or any Christian denomination really actually had written about and accepted the reality of ghosts. So that was quite a, you know, an eye opener for him when he, when he got to actually see that description. He had never looked it up and he had, he had no idea. And he, in the book, we, you know, we can't go into everything, but he did actually go into some of the cases of some of the saints lives, um, that he was reading about and they would explain and tell about their own encounters with ghost or ghostly apparitions in these lives of the saints. And again, that was all news to him. He did not know about that because like he said, you know, when you were growing up in those days and certainly I'm a bit older than him, you know, in the days when I was going to parochial school and all that, that's true. The only time you ever heard about ghosts was at Halloween when, you know, someone put, you know, sheet over their head and went out trick or treating dressed as a ghost. I mean, really there was no shows as such on TV or anything like that way back then, or even when Gary was a boy. So I, I, I admire his candor in this book where he explains like he just did not know. He had never really been interested in the subject, always looked for rational explanations. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Anyway, in early December 2007, Gary fell asleep one night while reading on the couch. He woke up around 3 a.m. and he saw clearly a woman with auburn hair in a floral dress, and she was standing in the doorway up the steps there of Eddie's room, and she was watching him, staring right at him. Now, that would have been enough for me. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. I would have been out of there. Feet don't fail me now. I wasn't at that front door so fast. <laughs> I give him a lot of credit here. But then again, you know, that's his son's, you know, his, his son and his wife were there in the house. But boy, oh boy, that, that would have definitely have disturbed me. So then we move forward a little bit. That was early December of uh 2007, and he was quite startled, but he didn't, you know, he didn't flee the house. And then on February 27, now we're in 2008, Grace gives birth to their second child, another son. So that night, Gary's at the house all by himself. Grace is still at the hospital, and his son was staying with grandparents. And around 3 a.m. in the morning, the doorbell rings, and he ignored it the first time. Then it starts to ring again and again, and he finally goes to the door, and of course, no one is there. And it was at that moment that Gary decided, you know what, I'm going to start reading that book, <laughs> When Ghosts Speak, that his coworker had told him about. He had picked up a copy, so he had it, and he said once he started reading it, it was very hard to put down. So he just kept on reading right on into the early morning. Uh, now, the author... Gary does like to mention this in the book, and I, I know this from looking her up myself and going on her website. Uh, Marianne Winkowski herself is a devout Catholic also, the mother of two, and she lives outside of uh, Cleveland in Ohio. She spoke to her first ghost, according to her own writings, when she was two years old, which is amazing when you stop and think about that. She could see ghosts, and she advises people that ghosts can, on occasion, they can move things, They can cause noises. Remember those questions the scientists and the debunkers were bringing up. Uh, They can cause temperatures to drop in a room on occasions. And uh, she did like to stress to people that they don't exactly fly around and they usually are not going to hurt you. 
Uh, ghosts are dead people who have stayed behind. Uh, they have unfinished business or are lost, and they need someone to show them the way to the white light. Right. That's uh, Marianne's words. That yeah. was, that's yep, part that's, of what he was passing on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Gary spoke with his wife, and with her agreement, uh, he called Marianne and left a voicemail. Three days later, Marianne called back. She advised that she can determine if there was a ghost in the house by either going to the house in person or by speaking with you over a landline phone. Now, this is kind of important here because with it being a landline phone, she's able to have some sort of connection to the home like if she were to go there in person and step foot in the house and walk through. So there's some sort of connection. Now, if you had a wireless phone and you were calling, she wouldn't have that same connection because it's not wired into the house, if right. that makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now at this point, all Marianne knew was Gary's name from his voicemail, and while he was on the landline phone with her, uh, she described Eddie's room. She knew the color of his walls and that there was no closet in the room. She even told Gary how his sister had uh, once gotten hurt in that room when she was a child. Yeah, that's kind of it's it's again it, it's hard for me to get my mind around all of that because that's really it's incredible. I mean, the landline connection I can kind of understand there must be something tied in with you know the physical connection, electrical impulses, and whatever you want to talk about there. I don't know. I mean, even that's kind of. That's hard for me to fully grasp at this point in my life. And then the fact that she could literally, while she's talking to him on a landline phone in Ohio, and he's in you know Long Island, yeah, in New York, there, uh, how she can tell you the color of you know the fact that the sun's <laughs> room was yellow. I remember that. That would freak me and out. And that there's no claws in the room. I mean, these aren't exactly things that you would just guess off the top of your head, and you know what I mean, like a they call cold reading sometimes yeah. where you're kind of just throwing something out and saying like, I see the letter T or, you know, I see the, but she's able to. And when he asked her about that, it was sort of like, Oh honey, that's just the way this works. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just, it's just the way it works. I can, you know, I can do that. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I admire her candor on that and her honesty because I have no idea how that would work either. That also would have spooked me out if I'm on the, on the phone with somebody and they're telling me, you know, oh, yeah. what the room I'm in is. I mean, it just gives me, you know, that's that how they have that kind of, ability to see over quite a distance too. I don't know what the mileage is off the top of my head right now from, you know, where she's living in Ohio to Long Island, but it's quite a distance. It just, it just hits me as rather, it's an incredible gift that she apparently does have because it's not just Gary that's written about her over the years, but other people that she's helped. But anyway, Marianne in this conversation then went on to advise Gary that in his home, the first ghost is an older woman and Marianne actually said the woman is short in stature and actually has uh, short hair. And she's been living in your home for a very, very long time. Uh, actually, she was already dead when that house had been built in 1904. <laughs> and that's, that's something that definitely startled me when I was reading that. Uh, this female ghost, everyone listen to this now very carefully, please. That female ghost always stays downstairs, according to Marianne, by the picture window in the front room of the house. And she seems to be looking out and waiting for someone. Marianne couldn't get a full reading on what all's involved here, what the woman's name was, but this was her description. And as a ghost, this older woman was described as having 
low energy by Marianne, meaning it's not a very active, it's a presence that's been there a long time, but it's not exactly what you would call active. It has low energy. Now, the reason I want everyone to pay attention to that was recall what we were just talking about a few minutes ago when Gary was young and he was seven years old and his mother had told him that there was a ghost in the house and it was a woman and she's looking out the window there in the front room. That's exactly what Marianne told him about this female ghost that she could sense in her conversation with him over a landline uh-huh. phone from some, you know, for so many miles away. Now, in addition to that older woman that's been hanging around there for a long time, Marianne also advised Gary that there was the ghost of a man. Now, at first, Marianne said she could only tell that he was younger than the woman ghost and that this particular male ghost had been in Gary's home for about a year. Marianne made it very clear that she did not like this ghost. Her quote was, he's a bit of a troublemaker. Then, as the phone conversation continued, Marianne told Gary, and this is a quote, uh, he is standing right on top of you right now. Now, that would not have made me (laughs) extremely happy. (laughs) Once again... Once again, I don't know if I would have just stood there, <laughs> or if that I phone started swinging. That phone them. would have dropped. <laughs> I might want to move along. You know what I mean? Like just run out Jeez. of the house. I don't know. But anyway, that male that male ghost is uh, yes, he's standing um, right on top of you right now, and he's not too happy with you. Also, Marianne told him, and he's frightening your son, and your son does not want to go to sleep in that room anymore, does he? Well, that was the point, because by that point, of course, no. Gary was sleeping in that room. The son was sleeping with his mother. He did not want to sleep in his own room anymore. So she picked up on that, and then as the conversation continued, she was able to pick up more information and then advise Gary, this male ghost is about 20 years old. He has definitely been dead about a year. He's not evil, but he is what Marianne called mischievous. I don't care what you want to call him. <laughs> I don't want him standing right on yeah, top of me right. or next to me or glaring at me or not yeah. being too happy with me. Marianne gave Gary very clear advice, and this is advice that I read in her book that she gives to everyone. Do not talk to them. When you talk to them, however this works, it gives them more power. So as hard as it is, you have to try and ignore them. Mary Ann then told Gary that she would send him a smudge stick, uh, and these are made of sage and sweet grass. She did not know why the ghosts were there in his house, and she was not getting any communication from them. She did tell Gary that sometimes people bring an object into their home that has a ghost attached to it. When Gary received the smudge stick, he was to light the stick and then put out the flame. Uh, he was going to start through his house and in the attic... Uh, say the Our Father out loud and outline all the doors and windows in the house, including closet doors and doors between rooms. The smoke from the smudge stick apparently uh, calms down the ghost or spirit and drains them of their energy. Uh, and the main goal here is to calm down the ghosts so they eventually go into the light and cross over. Right. This whole idea of, of smudging, just to stop here again, but... Um because, you, you know, you can look up on the internet now about smudging and smudging rituals and all that. But to be honest, if you do look into the history of what is this smudging? What is this thing where you light this, you know, kind of a bundle into mm-hmm. a, bundled into a stick of this, you know, the sage and the sweet grass and all that. But it really goes back, not only in the United States, but in, in other countries as well, to, uh, for here, well, for example, here in the United States, to Native Americans or the indigenous people here in the United States and in other uh, countries in Africa, certainly, and in Asia, where there has been this 
practice or ritual, which is called smudging, where they do light that bundle that's yeah. kind of formed into a stick. And then you do put the flame out. You don't want to be walking around like it's a torch, but you know, the smoke is coming out of it and that's what they want. And that's what Marianne was telling him. Like, this is how it works. I didn't create this, you know, but this is what she has learned throughout her lifetime. And that you do want to outline every door and every window and all of that with this smoke, because it does have an effect of weakening them, lowering down that energy. But it's not something new. If you go out online now, you'll see all kinds of sites that will go into smudginess, some sort of what's called new age or even neo-pagan, you know, uh, rituals and all that. But it's really, it's much, much older. It's not something that just came along, you know, it's like from the 1960s on or something like that. This does go back a long ways. And you can certainly read about it in writings from both among Native American tribes here in our country and then uh, with other uh, indigenous people from other countries around the world. You will find out that 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 ritual goes back. I don't think anyone can fully explain why or how that actually functions. They can only point to the fact that it does seem to work. And Marianne always recommends that. And I know people that have done it, so I don't want to get into that too much right now. But, you know, for whatever reason, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about this, this smudging ritual or cleansing ritual here. The very next day after Gary had spoken with Marianne, he spoke with a friend of his who was really into, as he said, the, you know, the whole area of paranormal phenomena, like we are here in the attic. He told her all about what had been going on in his house with these ghosts. And as we said, there's an older woman and a younger man. Well, a little later, this friend of his sent him an email, and she included in the email information that she had looked up about a 20-year-old man who had been in a car accident on March 7th, 2007, and died at the hospital that was not very far from Gary's home. It was pretty close by. That was March 7th, 2007. If you remember, he started having problems in the house, especially the electrical surges, his son's stuffed animals that are battery-operated that are turning on and off by themselves. That all started right in March of 2007. Now, just by coincidence, we just mentioned that that young man had been in an accident and died on March 7th. On March 7, 2007, Gary's wife, Grace, had actually had a miscarriage that day. And on March 7, 2008, that was the day that Gary and Grace's second son was actually born. He just puts that out there. Everyone has to decide for themselves about all of these things. Is this a coincidence or is it kind of a very interesting connection that may have something more behind it. I don't like to speculate too much on it. I think it's a fascinating coincidence, and I'm glad he, he, you know, he did put that in the book. But anyway, um, within a few days after Gary had talked to Marianne and after he got that email from his friend about this rather strange uh, car accident and that young man that had died uh, nearby, uh, the smudge sticks did arrive at the house, and then Gary did smudge, you know, do the smudging or cleansing ritual in the house per Marianne's instructions to him. Uh, And then after he had completed the smudging, Gary remembered something very important. Two days after Grace's miscarriage, he had read a story in the newspaper about that young man's car accident. Gary had actually grown angry when he read that the young man had been driving recklessly. Uh, He said out loud, you idiot, what the hell were you thinking? Um... Had that young man's spirit heard him when he said this? Mm-hmm. Do words and even thoughts have a power that we do not fully realize yet? Uh, a few days after Gary called Marianne, she told him that the room he was in at the moment had four doorways, and both the male and the female ghosts were standing in the doorway that leads to Eddie's room. She told Gary the young male's ghost's name. Right. 
And that was the exact name that was in the newspaper article that his friend had emailed in. Now, he won't give you that name in the book. He uses a pseudonym, and I, which, you know, why, why bother telling everyone with the pseudonym? But that was what was, that's what floored him. Marianne actually knew the name of this person, this ghost, this young yeah. male ghost that's 20 years old. And uh, he, she was able to tell him, and that he said it was just startling. What a revelation after he had gotten that information from his friend. And that young man's name was in that newspaper article that had died in that car accident that day. Now, according to Mary Ann, when she was speaking to Gary this time after this smudging ritual had been done, when someone dies, they are surrounded by what is often called the, you know, quote unquote, the white light. This acts as a doorway to the other side. And again, these are kind of nebulous terms because we don't really know exactly what all is involved here. If the spirit does not go into that light within 72 hours after passing, after dying, whatever it is, an accident or murder or natural death, the spirit or that ghost can become confused and then they kind of get stuck. And Marianne bases all of this on her own experience. So she did tell Gary, at this point, you are going to speak to the ghost. Usually you ignore them, but you've done the smudging. You've weakened the energy. You've weakened the power of these two ghosts that are absolutely, definitely occupying and living in your home with you and causing all kinds of disruptions for you in the house there. So you're going to tell them, quote, you're going to tell them you are going to cross over and then you're going to walk them over to that funeral home that's right across the street because there is a viewing schedule for that evening. And she said that's a great time to actually try to, when she's trying to get a spirit, a ghost of someone who has died and is stuck here or hasn't moved on for whatever reason, this is a perfect time to do it because at a viewing, you know, uh, the person has just died, say with a day, maybe two days before, whatever. That's the perfect time for that white light phenomena to happen. And that's what you want to do. You want to get them over there and tell them, literally to tell them they got to go into it now. It's time to move. Their power has been weakened. You've done the ritual that, you know, you were told to do. So you've got to literally walk them over there and get them, tell them to go into that white light. So he did uh, speak out loud to the ghost. He gave them their instructions that they're going to go over there now, and they're going to go into that white light. He explained they have to leave the house now. They're going to walk across the street to the funeral home. He literally opens his front door and tells them to follow him, and did promise them that he would pray for them. And then he literally walks across the street from his house to that funeral home that's over there, and in no uncertain terms told them, all right, now go inside, go for that white light. It's time to move on. And then the very next day, for the first time in a long time, when Gary woke up, the house was quiet, <laughs> something that they were not used to. No electrical surges, no toys turning on and off by themselves. One time his electric toothbrush turned on, but you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that would happen you know, over time there in the house, when the times when this was all going on. And from that day on, Eddie wanted to go back into his room. He no longer had that fear that he really couldn't explain as such a young boy. You know, he was only three years old when this started. And that gives you basically an overview or a good summary of that book, Holy Ghost by Gary Jensen, that I do highly recommend. But we've given you the, like we like to do here in the attic when we talk about books that we use for our podcast preparations um, and books that I've read just over the years like this one. I read it as soon as it came out. Uh, That concludes uh, our basic overview of the book here about what went on uh, in Gary's personal experiences with him and his wife and his son, 
his young son at the time when this all started. And this is how, as he explains, this is why he became a firm believer in the reality or existence of ghosts. It was based on his own life experiences, his own direct experiences in his own home with his wife and his son. Yes, so now we're pretty much, we have a a little bit of time left here. Um, We're just going to kind of go in and kind of talk about our opinions about ghosts. So, Mark, do you want to start us off or... Uh, the first thing, let me just make it clear, I'm unequivocally based on my own lifetime of experiences and from working with a number of people, co-workers, friends, neighbors, <laughs> uh, over the years, I can just tell you without any hesitation, I don't fully understand it all, but I definitely have no doubt about the reality or the existence of ghosts. I do believe, for reasons I don't pretend to fully understand, I don't know if any of us do, uh, I'm sorry, I've just had too many firsthand experiences myself and with and with helping other people who have come to me over the years, long before any of these TV shows were on, by the way. This is long before Ghost Hunters started. I'm going back into the 1980s, the 1990s. I can tell you about a couple of things. You know, people at work came to me or friends and, sorry, when it happens, you know, over and over, we all have to make our own decisions in life about, you know, what we believe, what we think about things. And I think that's for all of us. And for me... When I look at the totality of my life experiences at this point and the things I've learned from other people, things I've experienced, I don't have any doubt about the reality or existence of ghosts. We we explained to everybody earlier in the podcast here about there's quite a variation about you know ghosts. Ghost isn't just you know, uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost, the cartoon, or just something that happens to float around in your house and, you know, maybe it's friendly or maybe it's not friendly. I mean, we, we saw there's quite a variety, including poltergeist, like you talked about, which means noisy ghost in yeah. German, you know, mm-hmm. that those are the ones that are often involved with the noising, noises and things moving around in homes, uh, objects moving or even flying. Uh, but no, based on my life experiences and especially what we learned when we did our research on exorcisms, Zach, uh, to read and and to really think about what some of those exorcists were telling us about. Oh, ghosts, yes, ghosts are absolutely yeah. real. Because the whole area of demons is scary, you know what I mean? It's scary enough in itself when we were researching that, but here they themselves have no hesitation in explaining that, no, no, we've we've had to go to houses where, no, no, it's not exactly a demonic infestation. Yeah, yeah. It is what you call it, a haunted house. It's a ghost and doesn't require the formal rite of exorcism. It's just something where we have to pray and, and you know try to help these souls, these disembodied souls or spirits of someone who's died, move along. Just like what Marianne was saying to Gary when she was giving him the advice about what he had to do in his house. Something he would have never believed in, I don't think, from what he says and writes in his book, unless he himself had experienced it firsthand and had to deal with this himself and had to personally get involved in, you know, smudging rituals and speaking to these things that you can see but you can feel the electrical surges on. So for me, I don't really have uh, any any doubts about the existence of ghosts. I don't think it's a a frequent thing. I think sometimes when I watch some of those shows on TV, I'm thinking like, you know, guys, sometimes things do happen in homes, especially older homes with plumbing, with the pipes, and with definitely with electrical problems. You can definitely have, you know, surges being put off. You can feel, you know, things that need really need to be addressed by an electrician, not by a a ghost hunter or anything like that. Uh, Not to cut on any of them. I'm not going to talk about any show in particular, but some shows like, and even some shows I like, but, you know, certain episodes, it's kind of like, nah, you know, that's not as interesting. And I think that's because they're trying to put on something every week. They got, you know, they're under pressure to get the production done and get things out. But no, I, I look more at my own firsthand experiences, but I definitely think this book was very persuasive 
And since this book came out in 2010, I can tell everyone I really have given a number of copies of this out to people that have had uh, problems in their homes. Uh, it's usually it's usually about the home, not their workplaces or whatever, but mm-hmm. definitely had problems in their homes. And everyone has found it to be a very, it's a good book to read. And like I said, he has a good sense of humor and he does make you chuckle and laugh at times. But then there's other times where some of this stuff happens. It's kind of, you know, kind of frightening to think about. I wouldn't want to be dealing with all those things turning on and off in the night. No way, and yeah. Light bulbs blowing out and, the, you know, the <laughs> things like that. But I've had people that have come to me with similar problems. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say that I, I believe in, in the supernatural ghosts. Um, I watch a lot of those shows. Uh, personally, my favorite is is Ghost Adventures. Yeah. Um, I like watching. It, it's just something to do laying around. and <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something to watch, and a lot of it is pretty neat, and a lot of it's pretty spooky. And um, I think I've only ever had one ghost experience um maybe two then again i don't know the one is when we were at gettysburg and we did the voice recorder thing and we got a a whistling yeah and then another was when i was at home alone one time um i was downstairs in the basement playing video games and i heard a loud thud and that freaked me out because i was younger and i was home alone and so I ran out the back door and I ran to the front door because obviously I thought someone was in the house. Mm-hmm. And then I went back in the house and I realized that the uh, we had one of those trash cans with the top lid thing and it swings open. Yes. And I guess either the trash was piled too high, which I don't see that being a case, or it fell over for some reason and the, the lid just fell off. But I don't see why, if it was on there for so long, why it would lose its balance. Mm-hmm. But that's the only other <laughs> thing, really, that I've I've ever experienced that kind of creeped me out. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I I believe in ghosts personally. I've seen a bunch of videos. I actually just seen a TikTok this morning. Um, <laughs> this guy was, uh, I guess, renovating this home, making it a rental home or whatever, and he was like walking around the house and looking in all the rooms because I guess he thought a squatter was in, in the house. Oh, okay. And then um, he got to the basement, and it really looked spooky in this basement. <laughs> like, it was pretty scary. It was dark. And it was, like, one of the basements where it was, like, dirt. Dirt, you know what I'm, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And he got to the basement, and it made, like, a noise. And he dropped his phone at the basement, right at the basement. And I'm sitting there. I'm hiding in the comments. I'm trying not to see the video because I'm spooked at this point. Oh, yeah. And, um... <laughs> The phone, like, gets thrown, and it spins, and then at the end, he finally just comes in, he picks up his phone, and he runs back out of the house, but that was that was pretty spooky. I, I saw it this morning. I just thought I would... I know. That's a good yeah. one. No, I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> Basements can be very spooky. Oh, just yeah, definitely, with- yeah. Or attics. Attics can be spooky, too. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> but basements or attics can naturally be spooky sometimes, I think, depending on... Especially older homes. Definitely on older homes. Yeah. No, those are, those are good... Thoughts. I mean, I've had, it's just amazing. And like I said, I had people coming to me long before these TV shows were on, you know, starting yeah. around 2004. So I can just tell you, uh, one coworker who came to me, and this is all true, and it's just, I believe in the, this would be the late 1980s, if I remember correctly, because it was, it was a while ago, you know. Um, but I do remember a friend came to me. It was a very sad story. He had... Um, two brothers that were uh, very close friends of his around the same age and uh, their mother had become very ill 
and was dying of a terminal cancer really in the hospital. And uh, their father was having a very hard time dealing with this, understandably, as were the two sons, of course. But uh, one evening when the boys were both out, the father had come home after visiting his wife in the hospital and went down into their basement and then committed suicide. He shot himself in the head and the boys came home and found him and had to... Yeah. deal with this from then on and then eventually their mother died not too long after that but mm-hmm. I mean it was just a terrible terrible tragedy so my friend was telling me about how sometime after all of this sadness and all of this tragedy had happened uh, the boys you know would call him up and ask him to come over play cards or you know watch football or you know baseball game on TV or whatever and so the one night they were down in the basement playing cards and my friend told me you know the two brothers and him they're just sitting there at the table and all of a sudden, you can hear walking in the kitchen right above them when there's no one else in the house. And then the door to the that you know led to the steps you know that come down into the basement was just slammed closed. It <laughs> just slammed. He said so hard. And then the one brother just kind of looks up in the air, you know, towards the ceiling, and just says, "Dad, knock it off. Stop it." And my friends are sitting there thinking, "What's going on here?" And here he found out that strange things were happening in the house after all of that tragedy that had happened there, and they were convinced that it was their father. And it was—I'll uh, give you an idea. Like some of the strange things, you know, uh, a picture or a painting on the wall is taken off the wall and it's leaning against the floor on the bottom. Not that it's, uh, you know, like falling off from vibrations yeah. or the nail giving way or whatever. Uh, door slamming the footsteps were a big thing they told him about uh and my friend told me he was <laughs> very uncomfortable staying in the basement <laughs> at that moment and really didn't want to come back to the house and things continued to happen after that yeah. though and finally he he came to me at work and he knew that i would read these type of things and like i said there was none of these tv shows on then so i suggested to him i said about these you know like things coming off the wall or whatever. I said, maybe back in those days, we had those video camcorders and all that. And I knew the boy, I said, if they have one, maybe they could set one up and put one of those, like, you know, the two hour videotapes that you put in there and kind of set it up on a tripod or whatever. And maybe just leave it and go out of the house for a while and see what happens. Like put it up in one of the rooms. And they did that. And I remember John, actually, my friend went and he actually watched the video with them after they had done this at my suggestion. Uh, Not that I was some experienced ghost hunter or anything. I was just trying to think of things to try to help these poor guys. And they said that when you came back and you put the video then into the, you know, the VCR, the recorder there, and you put it on, you could see the camera would zoom in on the image and then it would zoom out and then it would zoom back in on the image. And then you would hear sirens in the background, like the night of the suicide when the sirens Uh with the police, when the boys had a call for the police and the paramedics to come, the EMTs, you know. Uh, It was just really, really spooky, weird stuff like that. And eventually they had to move out of that house. I mean, it just wasn't stopping. Yeah. It just wasn't stopping. They did have some come, someone come over to do a, uh, you know, intercessory prayer thing and all that. And they had an aunt who was actually a nun that came over. And there were things like that. It, it, I mean, I just remember the story now after all these years because even then it was kind of creeping me out. And unfortunately, I didn't have the ability to go there. They lived quite a distance from me where their house was. But I, I in, you know, today, if that would happen, I would actually prefer that I would actually be able to go there yeah. and help. And then I had another coworker, and this was quite a few years later. And this is after some of those TV shows, you know, now started on TV and all that. But she was having similar problems in her home. And her, she had her husband and her son was still living with her at that time. Uh, and... Again, uh, the TV would turn on and off by itself. You know, all these, you know, electrical things seem to be 
electrical things definitely seem to be some sort of a conduit that they can use to yeah. let you know, like, I'm here. <laughs> In case you were wondering, you know, I'm here. And that sort of thing. But she had a, a crucifix on the in her bedroom wall. And it was the crucifix that had been on her father's casket after he died. And she kept that crucifix. And so she and her husband had that hanging on the wall. Then she started coming to me because day after day she would come home after work. And the crucifix would be off the wall, just like the boys with those paintings yeah. or pictures. Uh, and then the crucifix would not be like laying on the floor, but it was, you know, lying, laying up against the wall mm. uh, like that, you know, um, uh, as if someone had taken it off and then it propped it yeah, up against yeah, the I wall. It was having day yeah. after day after day. And that and the, you know, the TV turning on all that I just told her, you know, I don't mean to, you know, I, I do think you're dealing with uh-huh. a ghost. I don't know what else I could say to you at that point. I gave her a copy of that book, Holy Ghost to Read, just to see if that would help her a little bit. I encouraged her to have her uh, her priest come over to the house and do some kind of a prayer or blessing. And but she was definitely dealing uh, with, I believe, the ghost based on the number of instances that that thing was. You know, at first her husband and some were making fun of her and kind of saying like, "A oh, mom, it's all on your head." But eventually, <laughs> you know, when that keeps happening, yeah. even the son who went on to become a police officer, I mean, they just were sort of like, "Okay, this is getting out of hand now. This is like, there's just too much going on here and too much noise, too much disruption." And it's getting kind of freaky about the crucifix. You know, you put it back up on the wall, and then the next day you come home from work, and it's back down on the floor there, leaning up against the wall. So those kind of things are uh, the kind of things that another coworker that came to me that, you know, her and her husband were having, <laughs> you know, the washing machine. One of the, I mean, I know that things can short-circuit and all that, but yeah, how many exactly. times do these things happen? <laughs> because I've never had my washer, you know, <laughs> turn itself yeah, on. And exactly. I, I, please, I, I don't want any of that stuff on my TV. And I've never had anything taken off my walls, you know, and leaning up against the floor there, uh, you know, on the rug there against the bottom of the... Uh-huh. No, I haven't had these kind of things. So those are just some of the examples of what... Uh, the things that have happened. Uh, but for me personally, my own first encounter, and to this day I can't fully explain it, was when I was a senior in college and I was living in a home with a family because there wasn't room for me in the dormitory when I switched to the college right, you know, where I went to uh, finish up my degree. And, and they just didn't have room for me. So I stayed with this really nice family and it was a mom and her daughter and son. She was a widow. And uh, it was a nice house and I could walk to the college campus from there for my classes. Uh-huh. But I remember uh, I had been in the house for maybe like two weeks or so, it was September uh, of 1976. To go back to give you an idea, long before you were born, I know. And um, I, you know, I would hear noises at night. And it was, you know, it's a big house. It was, you know, and there was an attic definitely, but it sounded like someone was like really walking, really loud footsteps yeah. in the house. And I just thought, oh, maybe it's just the wind or, you know, there's some kind of logical explanation. I'm an undergraduate here studying, you know, in college and I, I'm not jumping to any conclusions. And again, there was no ghost shows on TV in those days or anything. But uh, you know, I didn't say anything to them at first. And then one night when I was in bed, and I can clearly remember this, it was one of those beds. My bedroom had a, it was a bed with those uh, poster boards, you know, like the big, like there's four of them on the bed. Yeah. There was no canopy or anything, but it had like those those posts. And I woke up and my bed was shaking. And I mean, really shaking. I mean, really shaking. And no, I had not been drinking that night. It was a weeknight. I was not drinking. And that bothered me very much. Uh, I just, that was it. That morning when I came downstairs, it went on for a few minutes and I actually get rolled out of the bed because I was pretty scared, but it was like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Why did these things always happen around three <laughs> o'clock in the morning? I don't know, but that disturbed me. And I remember, uh, everyone had, already, uh, 
I remember the son and daughter were already out of the house by the time I came downstairs. So I waited until dinner that night. We had dinner together at night, and that's when we would all really be all together in the house. I would always have dinner with them, and I just very quietly <laughs> mentioned at dinner, excuse me, <laughs> but is there something about this house I should know? And the mother was like, uh, what do you mean? I just said, just seems to be some strange things going on in this house. And then I very quietly told her about the bed shaking, which actually I wasn't so calm about that. And then the noises coming from upstairs. And she said, her first response, I always remember this was, you're not going to move out, are you? I said, no, there's nowhere for me to move. They had no room for me on campus. You know, I had to find a place to stay. And thankfully, you know, you people volunteered to let me stay at this house and pay room and board to stay there. And she goes, yes, I, 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 I don't know how to explain this to you, but our house is haunted. And so I had to stay there for the full, you know, two semesters to finish up uh-huh. uh, at, uh, you know, at school there. But uh, then more things began to happen. I thought, well, if they can live with it, I'll live with it. But, you know, the faucets turning on during the middle of the night. I mean, faucets. These aren't motion yeah. detector things. Yeah. You know, these are, you know, these were the faucets. That you had to actually turn the thing and all that. Uh, and then she quietly confided to me that the Christmas before... The previous year before I had moved in, she had uh, wrapped Christmas presents, brought them home, and uh, they were already wrapped. And they were in this one room waiting for Christmas morning, and they were just all torn apart and and opened up because whoever it was that was there was kind of nosy. And uh, I guess was kind of curious about, well, let me just see what these are. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow morning to watch (laughs) them open. I think I'll just rip them now. I found that very disquieting, but I just thought, you know, I just got to put up with this for the end of the year. But, (laughs) and they sold that house, by the way, at the end of that year, they did sell just as I was graduating college, they had sell and they moved out of that into a, into an apartment. But it was uh, interesting. That was just my own personal experiences. And it wasn't like something happened every day, but the noises at night were pretty noticeable. When they happened, it was very disturbing, and it would really... Uh, the bed shaking was only a one-time thing, and I always thought to myself it was like something was standing at the edge grab, grabbing yeah. both of those and poster boards them. and just, I mean, it must have been a pretty powerful person or being or whatever, but shaking it. And uh, that was really my first encounter with something that I couldn't rationally explain. And so from then on, I was always kind of open-minded about it, but I didn't like talking about it. It was just something disquieting and something uncomfortable for me. So that was my introduction back in 76. But the coworkers that would come to me, that was after I started working at the University of Pennsylvania. So when these people were coming to me, it was in like the 1980s, the 1990s, and then definitely into the 2000s, especially after those shows started on TV, Mm -hmm. people would come to me. But just because of those life experiences, and there's other people, people in my neighborhood that came to me with strange things I can I could go on and on for a long time. But, you know, I, I don't think that everyone's nuts. I don't think that everyone's, you know, got an overactive, overactive imagination. I know damn right well that that bed was shaking that I was in. And it was uh, a frightening experience for me. I'd never, ever experienced anything like that again. And it definitely disturbed me. So something definitely was in that house. And at that time, like I said, there was no shows or, you know, these books weren't out yet and all that. So I didn't know anything about well, how do you deal with this? There was no internet. Mm-hmm. That's how old I am. There was no internet. It's not like you could go in there. Oh, how do I deal with a haunted house? You know, what do I do if I think I have a ghost? There was none of that. So, no, it was uh, it was some pretty spooky firsthand experience, and it definitely disturbed me when that oh, happened. Yeah, definitely. And be. then when these other things started happening to other people, and they would come to me and tell me about these things, you know, you just start to. I don't know, add up, you know, keep a scorecard yeah. here of all these things yep. that are coming on. And you begin to ask yourself, like, really, I mean, how often can, you know, people be dealing with some kind of short circuit in their house mm-hmm. or, uh, yeah. and there was no short circuit that made that bed shake. I can tell you that much. Or those heavy footsteps, they were really loud at night. I mean, it was like a real 
stomping sound, you know, of something that was definitely out to get your attention. You're better than me. I would have moved out. Yeah, I mean, to be I honest with you, something out. like I said, there was nowhere else for me to move at that point. I, I wanted to finish up that last year of college, and there was just no place for me to stay other, anywhere else. So it was a safe area where their house was, and they were a nice family, and I really liked them a lot. The one daughter went on to become, or the daughter, the older child, went on to become a physician. I mean, okay. they were a great family and really nice people. She was very spooked out by the house, too. She used to complain to me very much about how she couldn't sleep through the night on a regular yeah. basis because of the noises and things like that in her room in the house. So uh, it, it wasn't just me, of course, and the son also heard, the, well, we all heard the noises and like, you couldn't, you could not miss those noises. It was so loud and so disturbing. So um, for our first podcast on Ghost, we thought it would be a little bit more of a, rather than talk about all those shows on TV, which yeah. we could do in the documentaries that are on YouTube and all that, we thought it would be kind of nice to use that book in particular because it was a personal memoir, a personal story coming from someone who uh, underwent these experiences firsthand and had to deal with it really not knowing what he was dealing with at first and then had to come to grips with the idea of are ghosts real or aren't ghosts real and this isn't really the way I was raised to believe in things like this and I certainly in the religious faith you know that I belong to I didn't realize that there was even writings within the the teachings and tenets of yeah. that church that actually talk about the reality of ghosts and all that so it was a very informative and persuasive book and that it gave a very um, personal touch to an actual ghost story rather than yeah. just telling somebody about something we just saw on YouTube or, you know, one of those, I mean, some of those shows are good and some of them have good episodes, but I do think uh, you can put me down firmly in the camp of a believer and we're going to do additional podcasts in the future about other cases and other stories and other books that we're going through uh, uh, that involve ghostly encounters, things that we can't, things that go bump in the night, as he said, uh, things that, you know, are a little hard to explain. <laughs> they do make you uh, kind of stop and wonder. And then our ultimate goal is that, you know, it's great to read all these things and watch shows and watch documentaries and all that. But uh, at some point we're going to uh, toughen ourselves up and perhaps do a little uh, firsthand investigation of our own and see. That would see. be fun. Uh, so we're going to be getting together some equipment now to do some of our own things and film ourselves down the road. This will be down the road a ways uh, where we would do a podcast about our own personal firsthand investigations into some places where we've been informed that there are some... Um, Things going bump in the night, some strange things happening. Yes. And uh, Zach and I feel like, hey, it would be nice for us to actually get some firsthand. It's great to read these books and documentaries and all that, but watch them, you know, watch the shows but and deal with people that are dealing with these things. But uh, it'd be nice for us to maybe get an opportunity to do some of our own firsthand yep. investigation and film ourselves and uh, use some of this equipment that I'm ordering and just see if, what can we add to this whole discussion about what is probably the most popular area of the paranormal phenomena universe which is ghost just look at all those shows that are on tv i mean it's obviously a very popular uh, topic that people are uh, either experiencing or or talking okay. about yeah. or know people that are experiencing it and are getting concerned about it so i look forward to us doing some of our own personal firsthand investigations into this field because we don't want to just leave it here where we're at right now with you know telling stories from oh, other yeah. people yeah i think i think it'll be fun It'll yeah, be something yeah. different. Uh, we can bring our own little twist to the table with uh, our investigation skills and stuff like that. So uh, I think your story was the perfect thing to end this episode on. Yes, um, I hope I didn't scare anybody or creep uh, them out, but I'm it is sure all have true. Nightmares here. May God strike me dead. It's all true. I'm not exaggerating <laughs> any of that. I mean, that's believe me, those things I just said, they really did happen. And uh, there's other stories I just can't go into. We don't go on and on and on here, but... 
over the years, I've become convinced. I don't, I don't have doubts. And what's nice is that when you and I do our investigations, we'll be very open-minded about yeah. this topic, yep. this subject. It's not going to be a, a, a jokey thing. You know, we're not joking around. We're going to be doing this seriously with an open mind, feeling like, well, yeah, we do feel that there is something to this. And we do yeah. believe, but, but let's see, what can we do? What can we add to this yeah. conversation? What can our own investigation show and that we can share with everybody here in the attic? All right. Sounds good. Yep. So... All right. Well, with that being said, I just want to thank you guys for listening or for watching. If you guys are on Apple uh, Podcasts or on Spotify, you guys can leave reviews, uh, comment, all that fun stuff. If you're on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, We would love to hear from you guys, suggestions on topics for episodes, uh, anything of the sort. Um, Yeah. Mark, you want to lead us out here? No, I hope that none of you experience anything that goes bump in the night after watching this podcast with us. We do hope that you'll be safe. We thank you all for uh, watching us and for supporting us and for tuning in. And we hope to see you again real soon. We'll try to get this on a much more regular yes. basis. But I do apologize. Part of that's my own uh, the distance and the medical yeah. issues I've been dealing with. But I'm, I'm feeling much better these days. So uh, we want to get more regular. We have a lot of plan topics that we're going to be covering in the future besides ghost here we have a lot of we have a lot of things we've already written out that we have a lot of topics we're going to go over with you so thank you for tuning in you're always welcome here in the addict everybody's welcome here everyone is welcome and we will see you again next time right here in uncle mark's attic take care now